The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, happy um, double preview by accident week. Yeah, so little little behind the curtain stuff that we do around here from time to time. Uh, last week's podcast about the Pac-12 and Syracuse football preseason camp starting uh, decided to tell us to f off and just just deleted itself. So, it was a good one too. It was it was uh, it would have gotten you through a long commute. Um, very long commute. <laughs> The Pac-12 was a, a very free-flowing conversation that we will hopefully recreate here. Um, it, uh, yeah, it just didn't work at all. Yeah, it just didn't work <laughs> at all. Even a little bit. Uh, it was a fun one. So, yeah, we're going to kind of try to jump right into that. Sorry in advance for non-Syracuse talk. Uh, we'll be doing Pac-12 in the first half of this one, doing some halftime as per usual, and then we will jump into the ACC Coastal, the division you wish we were in. So that, uh, that'll get at least something Syracuse-adjacent. To, uh, to listen to here. Yeah, we're, we're edging closer and closer to Syracuse stuff. We are. Uh, to give everyone the roadmap, ACC Coastal this week, um, once we finish our Pac-12 Redux, um, we've got ACC Atlantic next week, and then the week after that will be Syracuse in full. So usually that's one of our most listened to podcasts of the year. Do about an hour, hour and 20. Um, deep dive on every aspect of SU. We pick the games. Dan and I are usually woefully wrong because we're overly optimistic. Um, you probably are too, though. So we all we all get to share in that for at least a few more weeks. In, in the words of Taking Back Sunday, tell all your friends. <laughs> and on that note, we talk about a completely unrelated thing: uh, the Pac-12. Dan, what do you think the Pac-12's biggest problem is right now? Um, because it, uh, there's the obvious one here, uh, right off the bat, that Washington's the best team, probably, but it's also there's also not necessarily anyone else who's at that level. Um, yeah, I mean, USC might be. We don't, we don't know yet. I think they're too young. They're talented they're enough. Of, they're definitely talented enough. Um, the quarterback's going to be the, the, the question mark. Obviously, they didn't quite reach the heights that people expected last year with Sam Darnold. Not that he wasn't really good, but he had that thing where, like, you know, you, you expect a college quarterback to blow up, and, and sometimes you get a Baker Mayfield where he puts together a historic senior season, and sometimes you, sometimes you get a Darnold where – you know, if you actually go and watch, like, he was really, really good. He was probably as good as he was the year before, but more was put on his shoulders, and he threw more interceptions. And we've seen this, um, you know, with a number of big-time quarterbacks um, throughout the years. So that was kind of what happened there. So now we have a, a whole new – a lot of new players plugged in. Obviously, they're all like, four- and five-star guys, so it's hard to really cry for USC. But they're not the proven guys. So it would be shocking if they – either take like a small step back or just kind of like stay plateaued as to where they were. And realistically, that's not probably not a big deal, but you know, USC probably is going to get a little antsy about where they are in the world considering, you know, they, they, they think they should be the dominant Pac-12 program and historically they have been and probably should be. Uh, and instead Washington's kind of ri- ri- uh, risen up and, and taken that mantle with, with the college football playoff berth and uh, being favorites this year and very well could make the playoff this year. So 
I think those two are, are – I think Washington's definitely the, the de facto number one going into the year, but USC is definitely the challenger, I believe, unless Stanford – you know, has some some one of its huge seasons, but even that, I don't think Stanford's ceiling is nearly as high as those top two. Yeah, I completely agree there. Um, I think it's worth going into you know kind of a deeper dive on USC, just because like you hit on a couple things there that like you know if if USC goes ten and two or you know eleven and two whatever like even even if they win the South, even if they you know get to the Pac-12 championship game, even if they go to the Rose Bowl or is the, well, it, yeah, this year is fine. They can go to the Rose Bowl. But even if they go to the Rose Bowl, like, if they can't win the Pac-12 and they can't at least look like they can win the Pac-12, like, if they get, if they get the doors blown off of them in the Pac-12 title game, you have to wonder at some point, like, is Clay Hilton actually doing a good job? Because, like, A, no one could pick Clay Hilton out of a lineup. B, no one could tell you anything about Clay Hilton, really. And, like, I even casually follow the team here just in L.A. and, like, I couldn't tell you anything about him. Pretty much every USC coach for the last 20 years has been able to recruit at this general uh, level, which, yeah, like, it, it does have this weird kind of layer on, on this tenure of, okay, like, if he can't get over the hump of, of just winning a Pac-12 South title and he really can't, you know, win a big game. I mean, obviously, a couple of years ago, they won that, you know, awesome game against Penn State and Pasadena, but, like, overall... At what point do you say, like, Clay Helton's not necessarily getting any better return out of USC brand, USC's placement in the world, USC's stature, uh, with its alumni base? Like, it's not necessarily getting any more of that, any more out of that than, than they would with just about anybody else at the helm. Like, because you're always going to get those four- and five-star guys. You're always going to get the best kids in Southern California and L.A. in particular. So, Dan, like, to you, like, do you think that this year, if, if they go 10-3 and three or so again, like, do you think that the Clay – questions start to arise about Clay Helton or do you think this administration is just so dead set on like Pete Carroll guys and, and, and bringing back the quote unquote good old days that like it wouldn't matter what happened they're just they, they just need this to, to be to be what works I don't know it's USC seems like it's in a very insular place now and it has been since since Pete Carroll and I, I get it to a point like Carroll was such a, a huge success even after you know it, it wasn't the most well heralded higher at the time i know we were both very young when it happened so i don't totally remember the backlash but same here <laughs> um yeah people remember i mean he was like a washed up not like a washed up but he was like a also ran nfl coach who couldn't stick there so i i get why it wouldn't be the the biggest hire and he ended up fitting usc like perfectly so i get the inclination to try to hire within his his tree but you did it with kiffin you did it with sark um this is the third run here they're all like the same profile guy they all Kind of, I mean, Kiffin's more brash. Sark, I guess, had head coaching experience, but it, like, even before his his issues that kind of pushed him out uh, took place, like he wasn't blowing the doors off at all. So I don't know. It just seems like if Helton doesn't work out, you you think you go in a slightly different direction, um, even if it's still a California guy or still like a guy that that has familiarity with the program. Like it doesn't have to be a Terrell assistant, but um, they do seem like dead set on making that one thing work, which is weird. As for Helton specifically, like, I think the thing that saved him was 2016. It ended so well. Like, we, we they were 1-3 to start the year with a win over Utah State and then losses to three-ranked teams, Stanford, uh, Utah, and Alabama. So you would think that, like, uh, we were joking, I remember very famously, that, like, <laughs> they were going to go, like, 3-9, and nine, um, and they ended up winning out and winning that awesome Rose Bowl. And I think, you know, that definitely saved him. And it looked like he was doing things well there, but... 
the talent is so so good and has been consistently so good. It really hasn't dipped through any of these coaching changes for more than like a recruiting class. And even then, like it dips to like 15th instead of like you know dipping to the 20s or 30s or whatever. Like some other programs might have. It's really hard to like know what kind of difference he's making. What like what his what is like wins above replacement as a coach is. Um, maybe he's fine. Uh, it just through you think through you know he took over midway through 2015 you'd think through like two and a half years we'd have a pretty good idea of what he is as a coach and i still really don't know night positive or negative he might be you know what his record says which is 27 and 10 and 25 and back 12 which is pretty good and um last year they weren't that far out they were what seventh in the final college football playoff rankings the year before they won the rose bowl obviously so like it's not bad indicators no not bad at all but you wonder if, like, you plug in, like, who's the most average coach we can think of in college football? Uh... I really, I, I want, I, we need Bill, we should ask Bill Cenas to, like, see if he can run something that would find us, like, the median coach. Well, it would probably be whoever gets, like, whoever was, like, around even on his, like, overperform, underperform numbers. He wrote that this year, right? Yeah. That would be... Yeah, that would probably be the best indicator. Because, like, I feel like six, there's different levels of six and six, obviously, too. And it's not just sits and sits. It's like who, who like does the least to elevate or yeah, like who gets the least? Hurt. Who's the least bang for their buck? Well, not the least bang for the buck. Who who doesn't really get you any more of a bang for your buck than you would have gotten with literally anyone else? Right. I, I can't find this article. Like I know he wrote it. I can't. I, I don't remember the phrasing he used in the title. So I'm having trouble um, finding the article. But like, I do want to figure out who like that coach is and like is Helton better than that guy? Are you getting more? from Clay Helton than you would from, and I, I feel bad just like a lot of the coaches I'm about thinking, I'm just thinking of like coaches that have been around for a while because they don't get fired. I don't think that's right either. Like I don't think Pat Fitzgerald's like the median coach. He might no. be, but I don't, I don't think that's like the fair thing. I don't think like Kirk Ferentz is the median coach. I mean, Kirk Ferentz was the median coach until like he was, a few years ago. He was, I think he's gotten ago. better. He I has. Think Kirk, I, I think Ferentz started recruiting better. Um, I think late Bill Snyder is like close, but he's really good at his, and he overperforms nonetheless. And and that's such a hard hard school versus right. USC where it should be easier. Is it is, um, is it Will Muschamp? Muschamp might be. He, that's not a bad because I think he's definitely better than he showed at Florida. He's doing pretty good things in South Carolina. Muschamp's not a bad a bad idea here. So let's say Musch, like is, yeah, Muschamp, is, like Narduzzi's another like I, I would say like Dorn until last year. That still might be. That's not a bad one either. Yeah, so so I, I yeah I would say all those names though, what what they what they do not hold is the cachet that like a USC coach should necessarily. Right, like if you took Will Muschamp and made him USC's head coach, would they be doing appreciably worse than they are now? Will Muschamp went to a BCS Bowl at Florida, which is like probably not even as good a program as USC, but it's comparable. It's on the same level, right. same tier generally. So like maybe not. They might be doing about the same. In which case, like, USC should be able to do better than that in terms of, like, bringing in a coach that matches the level of program they have. And yet, they seem to refuse to do that. Because, like, Sark wasn't a very splashy hire. Kiffin was splashy because he's splashy personality-wise. But Kiffin had just done seven and six at Tennessee, which was good for Tennessee at the time. But it wasn't like he, you know, came in and won the SEC East. Well, they're... They're, and not to like belabor this into the entire podcast, but they uh, they do seem like they're hiring under their station um, in the yes. world. And I was looking at like past results for USC, and it's funny like 
pretty much every coach in the first two or three years has won like a Rose Bowl, an Orange Bowl, or like a Cotton Bowl. Like every coach they've had since like the 50s somehow. Like within the first two or three years. So like none of these coaches give you an indication of what's going to happen next, like early on, because all of them are just sitting there with an embarrassment of riches. And yet, like even like Jess Hill, a coach that people don't even remember, won a Rose Bowl in year two. Don Clark is the exception. He was only there for three years. And in year three, he still finished 14th uh, without a bowl game. Jeff Kravath won a Rose Bowl in year two. Um, Howard Jones actually didn't win him for his first Rose Bowl until year five, but that was also 1920s. Pretty much every coach they've had has won like a Rose Bowl or an Orange Bowl in like year two or three, which like tells you nothing about this job. Yep. And it also seems to be more like systematic where – like the Lynn Swan hire is like the same thing. It's actually weirder. Yeah, it's um, super dumb. Pat Hayden stepped down after <laughs> however long he was there, and they hired Lynn Swan, who didn't really have any um, any experience to speak of. No, besides being being a USC legend. But he's a USC guy, and like this is worse than just, Syracuse's problem. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, Daryl Gross was way more qualified than Lynn Swan. But like, as far as our like, got to be a Syracuse guy nonsense. Like, the, yeah, because our, ours have been like. Logical. Like, Doug Marone was, was not far from getting an NFL job when we hired him. He ended up being a good coach for us, and now is probably, I think most would regard him, a top 12 NFL coach. I would say so, top 6 NFL coach. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I said, like, even the most conservative person would say he's easily in the top half of NFL coaches based on what he did last year right. and even what he did with the Bills. So, like, that was not a crazy hire. It, and I, I, don't, I don't discount the, effect, the, the idea of, like, hiring alumnus – does have positives like it's not I, I just think but well, I think we talked about it after Marone after Schaefer like I think it should be like the extra credit it shouldn't be the thing so like if Lynn Swan was being was an AD somewhere else or Clay Helton was like a head coach somewhere else and you're like oh he was at USC he's familiar good that's a plus it's not like the number one thing on the resume right no, I completely so, agree with that yeah it's just a weird predicament I don't know I don't get any indication of, like, where he is in relation to the hot seat. I don't think he should be that close. I don't think it's necessarily fair to, like, criticize him. I just wonder, like, how many more years of, like, even 10 and 3 sounds great, but after a while, USC will definitely want more. I think you're probably more more in touch to what those expectations will be. But I feel like maybe two or three. I would say people understand that Washington's very good right now. Um, if they finish below 10 wins, alarm bells are going to start going off. I think if they win 10 games and, again, just, like, win the Pac-12 South and, and lose in the championship game, like, he definitely gets another year to, like, figure it out. But, like, it does become a rudderless ship at some point. You're still winning games because that's what you can do just, like, by default here. Um, but, yeah, at some point you have to figure it out. Um, again, it's not, to, it's not to make this a USC podcast. I feel like we've, we've gone on to the Trojans far enough. I, I feel like we can move on to – I'd say let's skip Oregon State – Let's skip Colorado. Let's skip Cal. I think Washington State. Oregon State's bad. Colorado is going to be very bad. And probably will be bad again. And I don't know what Mike McIntyre's deal is going to be. I think he's going to get fired. It's possible. Especially if he had some, like, some very under-discussed under off-the-field stuff that, uh, that has come up again in light of the Ohio State situation. Yes. I think that. And I think Colorado in general, like, they don't have the natural recruiting base. They have the in-state problem of how their hiring works for state employees that's changed a little bit as McIntyre's petition to have more you know multi-year contracts for coaches uh at the same time like 
it's still a huge challenge. They're still like kind of an outlier in this conference, um, and they haven't really figured out an identity. So uh, I think the Buffs are kind of screwed, at least in, in at least in the the current way things are, and the fact that they're in the South Division, which like is a bear, just because you're gonna get out recruited by USC, UCLA at a bare minimum. Not to make a bunch of bear jokes about UCLA or any of the other Cal schools. Anyway, um, moving right along up the Pac-12 uh, from the bottom, Washington State. Uh, I think Pirate Leach is. Uh, I think this is his last ride. I'm. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure he even lasts the season if uh, if things start to collapse, and they very well could. Um, with I'd say the first eight games, there's a good. There's a. I'd say there's a bare minimum of, of four losses in, in the first eight games if it gets more than that like then we're start then we're talking hot seat and, and and more i don't know that they're gonna fire him i think it's just um they're, let it run its it course seems like every, yeah i think it's gonna run its course it, everything everything seems to be leading up to him not being there next year right. and like literally everything um this should be this team on on paper should take a step back which if this was another coach wouldn't be a big deal if this was dave cutcliffe at duke it wouldn't be a big deal if he goes five and seven because he's had so much success there and they had so little, so much, so little success before he got there. But you have a new AD um, because uh, the old AD went to Nebraska, whose name is slipping my mind. Um, so he is not the guy who hired Leach. Leach is a lot. Uh, Leach is a, a more a lot when he started, you know, spouting off about conspiracy theories on Twitter this offseason and got into like a war with Dan Wolken. Um, which again, none of these are like on their own going to get someone fired. But it's like he's older, his uh, production might slip. He seemed like he was ready to hightail it out there for the Tennessee job if they had offered last offseason, which became very public, which isn't, like, it's not a big deal. Like, obviously, he has all, all the right in the world to deliver another job, but when it gets public, it becomes awkward. He's been there for a while. So just there's, like, five or six factors that all make it seem like Leach is probably going to be gone sooner rather than later. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to, like, retire or he'll take another job. Like, I don't know what Leach's, like, next move is. Cause he, I can see him being very content with how things have gone and, like, going to Florida and just, like, you know, sitting on the beach forever, or if he'll take, like, I could also see him being a guy who takes, like, a small job just to have something to do. And I think he would get one, and I think he would probably deserve one. Oh, I think he would, um, like, take over Stony Brook and just turn them into a monster. <laughs> Stony Brook, or, like, maybe he holds out and takes, like, the next, like, tiny Texas job or tiny Florida job. Oh, yeah. Like, have, have, have Leach take over UTEP when, I mean, I know they just hire a coach, but, like... Something like that, where he can just kind of ride out into his like seventies and, and basically make it a retirement fund. I mean, if uh, Leach if Leach is available, I think and, and interested. I think if you're UTEP, you, you fire whoever you just hired. Uh, Dimel, I think is his last name. Yeah, screw that I guy. He's from Kansas State. He's not yeah, good. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't think anything Leach has done, and, and it hasn't been a good off season for him. I don't think anything Leach has done is like fireable or like makes him unhirable. I, I probably wouldn't want what he like all of his nonsense around my program at this point, mm-hmm. even though he's a brilliant coach. But if you're a small program that needs, like, a boost and needs to get off the ground, like, you could do worse. But it does seem like Washington State, it is just kind of coming to a natural conclusion because he does burn very hot. That being said, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they won seven games again and they're like, all right, well, this is great. Yeah, I, I don't really see seven wins on the schedule, but you never know. Oh, no, I, I'm not predicting it. I think yeah. they'll be in the bottom half of the league. It's just he has a tendency to, to pull, pull things out of, uh, Fair. Out of somewhere. Fair, fair. Um, one interesting team in the North, uh, since Washington State's not going to qualify for that, um, Cal, who 
you know, I, I really did like the, the Justin Wilcox hire. I really liked the, uh, the Bo Baldwin hire at offensive coordinator. And it's, it's looking like it's trending in the right direction. Pretty much everybody's back on offense. Um, defense is under construction, but I think Wilcox is, is probably the guy for that uh, construction job. So, like, I, obviously the Pac-12 is not an easy uh, league to play in. They do have two tough non-conference games against North Carolina and BYU. Um, BYU is on the road as well. But in general, like, this team could get to 6-6, six and six, and a 6-6 six and six Cal team is probably, if you're looking at the S&P Plus, is probably top 40 to 50. Yeah, I thought the Wilcox hire was a nice move. Um, he's kind of trying to keep the offensive uh, system that Sonny Dykes was was implementing going, which makes sense because that was rolling. Um, he's a defensive guy from Wisconsin. Uh, I think last week, though, he said, like, the minute he wins eight games, he's probably getting a bigger job. He just seems very ascendant. Oh, yeah. Um, well, because he's not from Cal- California, is he? I don't think so. He was kind of like one of those weird, like, this is kind of a, a clearly like he was going to take the first big job he got, and right. he's, he's young. Um, he's only 41. He's from Eugene, so it's not that crazy. Oh, right. He actually went to Oregon. I didn't realize that. So he's a Pac-12 guy, even though he doesn't really profile like a Pac-12 guy. Um, but he's been at Washington. He's been at USC. And then he uh, was at Wisconsin before taking the Cal job. So um, I just think he can be – like I, I'm a big fan of his. Um, he's been pretty good everywhere he's been as a D.C., uh, he seems to be recruiting quite well. So maybe he stays in Cal a little longer based on his profile. But um, I could see, like, you know, if, if Oregon, if uh, if uh, Cristobal doesn't work out there, I could see him jumping up to his alma mater. It just seems like he's a guy who, if the, the first, you know, year or two that he has a lot of success, like it, it might end up being kind of like Jeff Brom is probably going to face after this year if he has another seven or eight win year. Like the job is very tough. So what's and, and same with Dudden Marone, honestly. The job is really tough, so it's very impressive when you do like a good job there, and then you get these giant call-ups. True, and, and I think for him, yeah, it's going to be. I don't know when he gets to eight wins a Cal. Uh, I mean, it's been done before, clearly, but I do feel like if you're looking at like where the 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 power center is for um, for the Pac-12, it's definitely in that division that they play in already. Um, and I'd say three of the four best programs are in that division, so. It'll be interesting to see if he can get to that. I would think that, that folks do view that pretty highly, that, that he was able to coax eight wins out of out of that Pac-12 North, it's considering it probably includes three losses right off the bat to Stanford, Oregon, and uh, Washington before we even get to the annual bouts with USC and UCLA. Yeah, I buy that. Moving up again, I don't really want to talk about Arizona State, but I do think that the Herm Edwards hire was bad. I think that they're going to be bad. I don't think they're going to be really going out on a limb. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Like, I mean, they're not going to be like miserable. I think they're going to be like you know your typical like ASU team of late, where like they win somewhere between four and seven games. It's probably going to be in the low end of that. Um, That that hire is definitely going to look a lot worse in year like three. Because I think they have enough talent left over where like, they, you know, they might even make a bowl this year. They have Manny Wilkins. Didn't he recruit um, well this year? He, he, it's funny because he was doing like really, really poorly. And then he had like this crazy surge right at the end of the recruiting cycle where he basically salvaged the whole class. Um, I don't know how he's doing for 2019. Uh, I simply did his legs under him for that for in recruiting. He has a whole college staff. I, he didn't hire anyone that basically wasn't like handpicked by someone else. But overall, like I think this is one that's going to become very apparent. This is a bad idea in a couple of years, 
this year he might like fall into whatever number of wins Todd Graham was going to get minus, you know, a couple. He's going to do like a Schaefer-y type thing. Where like in yes. year one you win with the previous guy's guys and everyone goes, all right, this is going to work. And then everything just falls to complete hell. Yeah, unless he makes great coordinator hires and then he ends up being like late, late term Joe Pop. Well, he thought he had great coordinator hires when he, when he came in. Big, big <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, so I mean, it's all going to be about like what the assistants are. I, I just don't believe Herm Edwards is going to be a determining factor. And when, you're, uh, when your head coach is not, it's not a great thing. I would concur. Um, another interesting Pac-12 South uh, coaching change. Uh, I think that UCLA made a great hire in Chip Kelly. I think it's one of the more inspired hires of the offseason. But at the same time, uh, we don't really know what Chip Kelly is at this juncture. Just in terms of college football, he's been out for a few years. The things that he was doing that were revolutionary at Oregon are not at this point. It means he'll have access to better talent at UCLA. But also, like, you look at this hellish schedule starting from October 6th. Like, Washington on through to Stanford at the end, like, a good UCLA team could lose eight games pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, it, this this whole conference is just so, it's just tough because it's like, it's too so, good in the middle. Yes, the middle is very, very strong, so you could get devoured if you're one of those teams. Yeah, so Basically I... Basically from Oregon State up to, like, Stanford, maybe Oregon, depending on how Oregon handles the coaching change. I would agree. Um... I think, you know, to kind of ex- expedite things a little bit, um, Khalil Tate's going to keep Arizona in every game, um, and this defense does actually bring back enough players that, like, if USC slips up, it's going to be because of Arizona, and, like, we'll see if people can keep Khalil Tate in a box. Obviously, he didn't necessarily play as well when teams were able to keep him in the pocket, but I'm willing to bet that, that one of the more exciting players in college football is able to make something happen um, more often than not. Um, on the other side of, of the South, I think Utah is interesting, if only because, you know, they, they've had so much consistency under Kyle Whittingham. They bring, they really do lose a bunch on defense, but I think they've been able to reload there very easily. I think they've eased into a nice rhythm in the Pac-12 at this point, where like, I mean, they did have all those like they it, until last year. I think they were the one of only like a handful of teams to appear in uh, the college football playoff rankings, like every college football playoff ranking. Um, last year they only went seven and six. I think something similar is in store for this year, but I still think that could mean a third place finish in, in, in the South, which is you know nothing to, to to feel ashamed of by any means. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm interested to see what the offense looks like when they have a full year of of prepping for Khalil Tate as the the focus. Um, because last year he didn't really take over as the starting like the full time starting quarterback until what three or four weeks into the year. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a coaching transition. It really would have been interesting if Richrod hadn't, you know, been a creep and kept his job. But someone's obviously a very capable offensive coach. Uh, so and he knows what he has in Khalil Tate, and obviously Tate is comfortable with him because he almost forced a two. Um, so yeah, I, I think that should be pretty interesting. I, I agree with Arizona probably being the, the dark. I mean, they're not really a dark horse. I think a lot of people are, are tabbing them as like the team that could jump up into the into the next tier up. But um, it, it all depends on like Tate kind of overcoming the obstacles that he faced at the end of last year, like you said, where the defense has really kind of started to figure him out. Um, but that can also be helped by an offense that is, you know, fully designed around his abilities versus like him coming in and being a spark plug in mid-year, which, which worked for a lot for a while and then started to have diminishing returns as the weeks wore on. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, the case. 
and then Tate, you know, suffered from a lot of the same things that like Dungey suffers from at times. You know, is that like, hey kid, go out there and make something happen. Like, and and Sumlin can work with that too. I mean, look what he did with Johnny Manziel. But like, I, I do think that that Sumlin coming in w- w- was a perfect marriage of head coach and and quarterback that that makes this work and and game plans for this to work versus last year that was really like I don't know kid just dice roll hit this hit the juke button on the on the PlayStation controller a bunch of times and like and and you know we're going to we're going to look like 04 Madden Michael Vick and and everything's going to work out so I I I think that this year's going to look a lot more planned and a lot more organized with even if the numbers even if they take a little step back I still think Tate puts up some some monster stats all season yeah, I mean they were so good even even like in the later games that I'm not too worried about him. Um, the rest of the team, we'll see because it wasn't a great team last year. But like Arizona's been pretty consistent. Obviously, the, the one terrible year where both Arizona teams bottomed out, what two years ago? Yeah. But um, overall, I think I think they'll probably be kind of re-energized by someone as well. I would agree. Um, I'm going to skip over Nuba Reach, Oregon, just because I, I always have some shade to throw at them. I think that uh, I think that the Ducks are probably going to win nine to ten games this year, just because uh, Justin Herbert's uh, back. He's healthy. He's really good. Um, I will give them credit. We'll see what the Cristobal hire hire turns into because I don't necessarily think it's a fit. Um, I think it was a fit for what they needed him for at the time. I don't know if it's a long term fit. Um, I also think they'll be quick to pull the trigger um, if it doesn't work out. Not because of anything Cristobal does, but only because. Um, I think that they have a different view of themselves um, as a program than they necessarily are, especially up against Stanford and Washington in, in division that seems to be quickly passing them by. I mean, that said, they were 6-1 and one with Herbert under center last year. There's plenty to like, but I, I don't think Cristobal is necessarily um, you know, the, the same coach that Willie Taggart is. Yeah, we talked about it more in the in the now lost episode. Um, Cristobal, I think, is a very good head coach. I think he will be a good head coach uh, somewhere, and might be in Oregon. Um, but like you said, I I don't see him as an Oregon as like an Oregon guy, um, which might be a little bit hypocritical considering how we went on for about twenty minutes about USC. But Oregon won a very specific way, and uh, it he just I think he's going to do what he can to keep uh, keep up what was working there. Um, but it just, I don't know, it's just a weird, you know, change of identity where Taggart obviously doesn't run the same system as what uh, Chip Kelly and Mark Alfrich were doing. But you could kind of see the vision where you could kind of try to morph it into what Taggart's, like, kind of power run spread system is. Um, first of all, when he has to, like, really make this team his own, I, I wonder how it's going to look. Because he's a, an offensive line guy and he was more of a program builder. Uh, at FIU, so we'll see. I mean, I, he 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 seems like a good guy, uh, and it's a great opportunity for him, which he he you know kind of lucked into. So hopefully it works out for him. But uh, I, I'm really not sure what to expect from them long term. But like you said, this year Herbert's really really good. Uh, they were sits alone with him last year, and they put up really like excellent numbers. So if he's healthy, they should be quite good on offense once again. Defense is very much a work in progress. No doubt. Um, so I guess wrapping us up since we decided to go from bottom to top. Stanford, I think, obviously, with Bryce Love in there, they're going to be very competitive. I think the defense, once again, is going to have to uh, turn over a bunch. They're still a really, really good team. I'd say they're still a top 15 caliber team. Uh, The recruiting rankings for them haven't looked as impressive as they actually are since they usually have, you know, three- and four-year players. 
um, especially four-year guys, like cycle through. You don't necessarily need these deep recruiting classes, but like the last few for them have been, you know, 15, 16 guys, but have been a ton of blue chips, a ton of five stars. Like they've really upped their game and, and have still managed to stay true to what they are um, from a recruiting standpoint. That a lot of credit goes to David Shaw there. And I think you look at the schedule, um, you know, USC at Oregon and at Notre Dame all in September. If you get through that at four and one, you know, you're, you're a, a win on the road at Washington uh, from, from winning the Pac-12 North. Um, if you get through that at five and zero, you're a national title contender. Um, I don't think they will get through that at, at five and zero, but uh, just to throw it out there, that like Stanford season very much will know everything we need to know about the Cardinal um, in, in those first five games. Um, meanwhile, Washington, not to belabor uh, my talking portion of, of these two teams, but um, obviously Chris Peterson's really elevated what they've done there. Uh, most of the offense is back, but they're going to have to replace their top playmakers, a wide receiver. Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin are potential Heisman contenders. Defense has been so, so good under Peterson, um, just churning out NFL players. Um, more of those left this past season, but they return almost the entire secondary. Um, and I think that Washington is a legitimate playoff contender, even if not a national title contender, as part of that 14 playoff. Yeah, I mean... It- they have an established quarterback. I, I don't know if they have the, the same skill positions that they had a couple of years ago, uh, which you brought up where they had just two really dynamite receivers and, and two dynamite running backs uh, as well, if I remember correctly. But, you know, it's also easy to say in college football, like, oh, they lost, you know, these guys. And, and you know, we tend to forget that guys rise up every year and become stars out of nowhere, especially when we're not, like, right in, in the program. But when you have a quarterback like Browning, um, you're going to have a chance to compete. And, you know, they were quite good again last year after making the playoffs. So I don't know that I'm going to pick Washington to make uh, the playoff this year. I do think they'll win the Pac-12. I'm not sure. I haven't totally, like, formulated my playoff opinions yet. But, like, they definitely should be in the top, like, five or six in the discussion right now, I think, based on everything they bring back. Yeah. I mean, to skip ahead of predictions here, um, you're asking me, Washington wins the North, USC wins the South, and Washington beats USC. I think Washington is the fourth playoff team since i'm i'm gonna guess that they jump in as number four i think wisconsin's three um i think alabama one clemson two i still want to think about it a little more i, I want to go over i don't know in the next couple of weeks we'll, we'll discuss the playoff I fair think enough I'll, I'll have a four for you I'm, I'm just not i'm not prepared and i feel like i've rushed into my playoff picks the last couple of years and i've been so so wrong and i know no one remembers them so it doesn't really matter <laughs> But, uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like Alabama and Clemson are, are definitely two cinches. And the obligatory from, Alabama-Clemson Invitational. At this point, like, why wouldn't they be? And also, like, given, I mean, it, it's also just given what those teams bring back. From there, like, I, A, I want to know what happens with Urban Meyer. And B, like, I just need to, like, reevaluate all these teams and, and look at schedules again. But it's, uh, it's pretty tough. Agreed, agreed. I uh, assume you also have a Washington-USC um, Pac-12 championship game? Yes. Makes sense to me. All right. Um, so that does it for the Pac-12. I wish we had last week's episode, but we don't. Um, sad times here. But anyway, let's talk some beer. Cool. Um, I actually didn't really drink much this weekend. Uh, I had some stuff I had in the fridge. Um, I had a can of Troublesome Jellyfish from Fifth Hammer. And then I worked on a couple of uh, growlers from Wolf Hollow, uh, the White's Wit and the Brunette's Revenge, uh, which I brought up the last couple of weeks. I've had those for like two weeks now. But uh, I didn't really get out this weekend. I was, I was kind of just focusing on some, some work stuff and, and taking it easy because I have uh, 
two pretty big weekends coming up, so not a huge amount on the beer front for me, although I will bring it up now since it is beer-related. Um, I've mentioned it before. Uh, next Thursday, uh, I will be at Broken Bow Brewing uh, in uh, Tuckahoe, New York, which is uh, in Westchester County, just north of the city. Um, they're have hosting the Syracuse of uh, Syracuse alumni of Westchester and Fairfield County alumni events, uh, where I'll be talking about Syracuse football and I'm sure some Syracuse basketball because I know how this works. Um, so if you're in the area, definitely come out. It should be fun. It's at six o'clock next Thursday. Come hang out and we'll uh, have some beers and, and talk some Syracuse. Seems fun to me. LA, LA alumni. What, what are you sleeping on? Get me at an event. Let's let, let's chat about some football and some beer. There's no reason not to. I mean, there's enough LA alumni. Obviously, not quite as many as, as out here, but there's certainly enough. I would concur. Um, all right. Things for me, because I was drinking during the week last week for the most part, um, and last week's episode got canceled. So uh, I was up in SF for a few days um, at a really cool spot, Liquid Gold on Polk. I would highly recommend people check that out. They're in the San Francisco area for any reason. Um, had some Mo from uh, Main Beer Company, some of their pale ales. Uh, had a Wolfgang uh, pale ale, uh, New England style from uh, Modern Times. Uh, had Fieldwork, St. Monroe, as well as Pulp. Just a couple IPAs from them. Um, from Hen House Brewing, was up in the Bay Area. Had a Kubrick's Landing IPA. Was over at Cellar Maker Brewing in Soma, over in SF. Had some uh, Double Dry Hop Dovis pale ale. Uh, had some Juice Gymnastics, uh, Slang and Juice, and some uh, Problem Solving, uh, among other things there. Um, also had some uh, Firestone Walker Sea Hops Pale Ale. Uh, Dan and I talked about this in the last episode, but uh, people need to make more pale ales. They're, uh, they're super easy to drink. They're very enjoyable. It's not that I don't love IPAs. I do, but uh, a nice pale ale. It's fresh. doesn't pack a huge uh, you know, ABV punch. Just a, it's, a, it's a refreshing way to enjoy summer without either you know, killing yourself with a bunch of IPAs and double IPAs or watering things down with a Pilsner if there isn't a good one just kind of standing around. Yeah, we, I forgot this was part of the Lost episode. We had a really good episode that you guys didn't get to hear. Really pissed um, off about it. Yeah, really unfortunate. Uh, Pale Ales definitely hope that becomes like the next trend. Obviously, like beer seems to go on like year, year and a half long kind of trends where everyone's making the same styles. Uh, and I've liked a lot of those styles recently, which is good for me. But also, like John said, like sometimes you, you look at an IPA menu and you're like, I really don't want like to try like four different hot bombs right now. And pale ales like kind of run the middle where they're not, you know, just watery nonsense, but they're pretty full flavored. They're delicious. And I'd like to see more of them because some are quite good. Agreed, agreed. Um, a couple other things I had. No, actually, just one other thing I had. Um, the only beer under $13 at Dodger Stadium now is Budweiser. So... Had one of those, but we're not going to talk about that. That is nuts. It's really stupid. I was actually talking to fans there and at the beer bar I was at before the game about how much better the City Field uh, food and drink uh, situation is. So uh, Mets fans out there, feel uh, feel glad I was still representing uh, the uh, one of the worst-run teams in sports because there's one thing they do very well, and everybody in every corner of the country knows it. At that beer bar beforehand, Sunset Beer Company, if you go to the Dodger game, it's literally like across the street from the stadium. Um, really cool spot. They're a bottle shop and a, a beer bar, so you can take some stuff to go. You can pay a corkage fee and open some stuff. Um, I had from Oxbow Brewing, uh, Farmhouse Pale Ale. It was an interesting uh, combination of two, uh, two of my favorite styles, a pale ale, as we were mentioning earlier, and, uh, you know, farmhouse ale. That is interesting. 
I would definitely try that because I enjoyed the farmhouse as well. Yeah, it's quite good. It was a nice. Uh, but they can also be like super heavy, so this one was I nice. Assume this kind of cut it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, very, uh, very good. I wish some people would uh, would invest in these styles some uh, some more. I'm 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 a buyer. I'm I'm buying in on that uh, <laughs> combination. Glad we got an investor. Anyway, um, on to the coastal, Dan. The division again that we wish we were in because Pitt's life looks so much easier than ours most of the time. Yeah, I mean. The Coastal kind of has kind of a similar thing to, to the middle the, the middle class of the Pac-12 issue, where, like, there aren't very many easy wins except for Virginia lately, and even Virginia last year, you know, started out hot. Beat but Boise in Boise. They did beat Boise in Boise, which has turned out to be one of the weirder results of the year. Um, I watched that from a bar in Baton Rouge with a bunch of LSU fans and, uh, and my friends and my wife from SU. It was, a, it was a very entertaining night. Yeah, overall, though, like, you know there are definitely more more win possibilities to be had. Yeah, so it, it w- I would trade I would trade spots of Pitt in a second. <laughs> Playing Clemson and Florida State is not fun every year. I know we beat Clemson. Uh, I know Florida State. You know just came off a, a tough year and and you know effort. we almost it beat them like last year. We almost beat them last year, and I know that's a trendy pick for this year. Um, I'd rather not deal with it on a year to year basis, and I'd rather not like learn firsthand what Willie Taggart turns them into. That's something we're going to talk about next week, uh, just in terms of tempo and, and Willie Taggart and, and, and things I'm annoyed by. But anyway, um, talking about Pitt, since we're here, um, this one and next week's are going to be two of my favorites because it's when we get to call BS on all the overrated teams in the ACC. And it's not to say they're overrated like overall. It's to say they're overrated compared to Syracuse. Pitt, very overrated. Um, everybody's super, super in on Kenny Pickett. I don't really understand why. And when you look at this roster, it's easy to understand my skepticism, I would hope. When you're replacing most of the team, um, especially on the offensive end, um, you're, you've got a decent amount back on defense, but at the same time, you also haven't been very good on defense since Pat Narduzzi showed up. Um, I don't understand why that is. Kind of has a Schaefer-ish ring to it in many ways. Um, I still think this team's going to run the ball really well. I still think they're going to probably improve a little bit on defense. But when your defense was already, like, bottom 40 or so, you don't really have anywhere to go but up. Yeah, I get the inclination to crown Kenny Pickett. Um, they did look better once he took over uh, the, f- the full-time job. But it was just those last two games. And the first one, like, he played relatively well against Virginia Tech given his, his lack of experience and the fact that Virginia Tech's defense is almost always pretty nasty. I don't know about this year, which we'll get to. But he still, you know, he threw for 242 yards and a pick, no touchdowns. And then it's Miami. Like, they played really well against Miami. They, they pulled the upset. Miami was kind of reeling. And still, he didn't, like, throw the ball spectacularly. Go went for 193 through the, through the, uh, through the air. Miami was so injured by that point. <laughs> yes. They, they kind of packed it in. Um, he did run the ball pretty well, which I don't know how much of a part of the game it's supposed to be for him. Um, Not much, overall, based on at least what we saw and limited action from him. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, he only took a couple snaps against us, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I is that really... when they burned his red? Is that when they burned his red shirt? Yeah, they burned us? they burned the shirt on, on, again. No, wait. Yeah, because didn't we knock Danucci? You know, they burned the shirt because Danucci lost his helmet. Yes, and instead of just putting someone else in, they they, they burned they the shirt. Burned his shirt. At least they used him for a couple names and got like a yeah. one out of it, but that was a weird that was a weird thing. Schaefer would have just burned uh, the shirt and never seen it. We would have never seen it for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's one of the that's what I will say. One of the only ways in which Dred Robinson was better than Schaefer 
Um, Dred Robinson actually used people after burning their shirts way, way too late into the year. Schaefer did not. And I will back that up by saying that Scott Schaefer was, in almost every way, a better head coach than Dred Robinson. Fair. Um, so, anyway, yeah. Pickett, like, there were good indicators. I think it's very early to crown him as, like, the next as like the next Dan Marino. Um, I think they were doing that with, like, Danucci at points over the last couple of years as well. They've done that with most of the quarterbacks that they've rented from other programs. Yeah, they have Ricky Towns now, right? Uh, do they? I, I, I believe they have Ricky Towns. Interesting. Well, good luck uh, with that. Yeah, they do, actually. You're right. Good luck Ricky with Towns that. Ricky Towns on his, like, fifth college. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> Alabama. Well, committed to Alabama, attended USC and Arkansas. He attended Arkansas for, what, like a day? Like, Probably. did he even go to a class? I don't think so. Also, what's with the USC, the weird USC fit connection? USC is, is, is becoming, like, a sneaky... Uh, like Purdue-ish, like feeder system, but like just for Pitt. <laughs> it's also like there, there's no like there's nothing about Pitt that like as a football program or as a town or like not that not, I've heard Pitt's actually a lot of fun now, like but it's it's in the Northeast in the in the Rust Belt. It's a, it's a, it's a great like... endorsement for any city. <laughs> if you add now to, to the end of to, to the end of a city. Well, no, I, I mean I don't. No, I know, I know. I'm I, just more. I've heard Pittsburgh is actually like. A very sneakily cool city now, where it doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, on like in comparison to a lot of other like bigger cities. I've seen it on travel uh, lists somehow. Yeah, like it seems like a lot of people are going there. It's like it's like I'm sure in like ten years it's gonna be impossible to like live there. But I've heard it's like sneaky, like one of the up and coming like cool cities for that's not like out of this world uh, expensive at this point. But it's not anything like Los Angeles, so it just doesn't make a lot of sense why like quarterbacks who thought they wanted to go to USC are like, well, I have to go send myself to the Northeast now. Like, it's it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird connection. Why, like, why sentence yourself sense. to that? Not even that. It's just like you would think that those guys would want to stay in like a warmer climate Fair. or like a more California-like climate. Because they figure Pitt's um, garbage, I can just play here. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst thing that happens? Um, worst, worst, worst case, I'm drafted in the third or fourth round of the Kansas City Chiefs. What up, Nathan Peterman? <laughs> Oh, God. Nathan Peterman, Buffalo Bills train. Okay. Um, this is why we always have this Coastal episode go for the full episode, um, because this is going to be, not, not to give away the script, but we are, we are going to be challenged to get this in under an hour and 20. Oh, yeah. I mean, we went, we went an hour and 30 last week on just Pac-12, so, uh, and Syracuse stuff. And Syracuse stuff. Um, so, yes. I don't know. What else do we want to say about Pitt? I mean, the running game should be pretty good. They bring back, uh, I think, both of their main running backs from last year. Although the offensive line, uh, I think, is kind of shredded. Like they have yeah. um, the all who's the all ACC guy, uh, Alex. Is uh, Nawadi? Maybe I wrote down his name earlier when I was reading. I feel like stuff. I feel like it was Biznawati. Isn't he the same guy that just lost? It's uh, his... Alex Bookser. Yeah. Oh. Well, is he the one that just lost his spot to? Uh... Was Biznawati the guy who lost his spot to um, Jamar McGloster and for the Lions? Not sure. I think he. I think he did. Um, I know they lose basically. I think they lose three fifths of their offensive line. They bring back like one of their best guys, but uh, it's gonna be like. Oh yeah, yeah. A... Bookser's back. Biznawati's the guy who lost his job, who lost his roster spot to uh, McGloster, and now McGloster might actually make the the Lions fifty uh, three man, which good for him. Come for the come yes. for the pit. Stay for the Detroit Lions talk. 
I was not nearly as aware of Detroit Lions like offensive line uh, battles as you apparently at this point. <laughs> I, I like I like prep for the NFL like once fantasy starts, and I'm not there yet. So I don't give a shit about the NFL. I just I just care about former Syracuse players at this point. That's fair. Yeah. So I guess to close out Pitt, uh, Dan Bowl or no bowl. Uh, let me go through the schedule real quick. I know most people are not picking them for a bowl, and I'm, I'm with that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly that. not going to argue. Um, you got Penn State and UCF in the non-conference. Get the hell out of here. At US, at UCF, too, which I know, like, UCF should still be really good. Yeah, they're um, going to be a top 25 team. At Notre Dame, at Wake Forest, it's not an easy game. At Miami, I think Miami's going to be out for blood. Ugh, this is tough. Georgia Tech, no. Yeah, I don't think they're making a bowl. <laughs> yeah, I... I, see it. I think... I don't think they're a terrible team. I just I I'm not super impressed by them. And like the only the only like wins that I, I feel pretty good about here are Albany. Um, at UNC is not even like a gimme because UNC should get a lot better just by you know the fact that they I mean they just kind of need to. I mean the Syracuse game is going to be among their easier ones, and I'm not going to hand that to them. Obviously, same with Duke. Like Duke should be pretty good. Bot Tech. So like. Yeah, they need to win a lot of toss-up games to make a bowl. And yet Vegas says six and a half, over-under. Ooh, I might have to know. Now that we have a Hard-under. Mash that thing. <laughs> yeah, if I stop at a sports book in the next couple days, I'm going on the shore next weekend. If I stop on the way down, I might have to know. I would drop a, a hundred on the ticket. under. <laughs> like, Bill C has five and a half, 5.3 wins. I feel... F that. I feel, pre- I feel pretty good about Bill C's... Projected wins being a, over a full win less than Vegas. Yeah, Vegas is dumb. Don't they have UNC, who we're going to talk about next? Don't they have UNC also at six and a half? Which, like, again, especially now. I mean, I don't know if the lines changed with the suspensions. Um, they very well might have. I don't know if the line is, it might have been suspended. I'm, I'm not totally sure. They're well, another team, nope. though. I mean, yes, they had a ton of injuries last year, so technically, like, the depth has more to it. Um, but at the same time, like. You got two road games to start the season at Cal, at ECU. ECU is a win, but whatever. Um, you got ECU's at, garbage, so they yeah. should, they'll, they'll win that. But, like, at um, Cal and a UCF game in the non-conference? Like, what are you guys thinking of? Yeah, I don't know. At Cal, I would be very disappointed in Cal if they lost that game. They also have UCF. Like, UCF is, is on the ECC train this year. I think UNC will get better just because I, I – it just it was weird that Larry Fedora won 3-9 and nine last year um, with that team. That being said, like looking at what they have this year, there's still like a lot that we don't know. They don't have a starting quarterback right now. They have they have two very different players kind of competing for that one position. They have they they lost some important guys on offense even with the struggle they had last season. Um, and they lost one of their top uh, receiver recruits to baseball. Yeah, he made the jump. Uh, he was also a recruit, so it's like it wasn't like he was set to like walk in and start a quarterback, which I, I get. But he was probably going to play. <laughs> A little bit, but he probably would have played. I think Jordan Adams. On. Yeah. So yeah, UNC. I think they'll get better. I I have to look at the schedule again to see. Like, so what we have here? I think they might like, be. Are, I think they might be eliminated before we even get to November. At ECU, they'll win. Pitt to toss up. And they're not going to beat Miami on the road. They're not going to beat Vatek. I'm not in love with Vatek this year. They're not going to beat Vatek. At us is a toss up. At Virginia, they should win. So that's two. Let's give them three between us and Pitt. That's three and five after two months. That's at best. Yeah, four, that's probably four and four best case. And then Georgia Tech, maybe. Duke, maybe. Western Carolina, NC State. So, like, 
I guess there, there's probably a road to like six wins here, but again, it's just like Pitt, where you need to have a lot of things go your way. Yeah, again, put put all your money on, on the under here. Did you verify that it sits in a half in Vegas? No, I I don't want to test anything with this computer crashing or doing anything stupid. So. <laughs> That's we're, just gonna, we're just going to bank on. <laughs> we're just going to bank on that that it stayed six and a half. That's the other thing, like. I don't really buy Chaz Surratt as a, as a quarterback in general, but I definitely don't buy them beating Cal, UCF, or Pitt without him since he loses four games in here. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know what to make of them. I, I, I do expect them to be, like, a good amount better than last season. Of course. But it's just uh, it's tough to, like, have a ton of faith in them to have this, like, crazy bounce back to where they're winning eight or nine games, which I feel like people are – I don't think people are like, counting on that, but I feel like people are, are just, like, totally writing off last season – where obviously injuries were a major factor, but it wasn't like the whole story. They just weren't very good. Right. And to be honest, their run, like, def- their run defense was so abysmal, and they bring back a lot of starters, but like that doesn't necessarily mean those guys are going to stop the run now. Like we've seen that with us. It doesn't doesn't mean that you're going to fix the problem just through just through experience. It might, but it, doesn't, but it also doesn't might really not. They also it looks like they replace um, their kicker and punter, which underrated. Scary nonsense. Not something you definitely want to, you want to do at the college level. Um, also, as a Syracuse side note, I think any six and six permutation for the Orange probably includes a win at, uh, over UNC at home. Yeah, no, that that that's uh, without seeing our schedule right in front of us, uh, but knowing it generally, like that is probably pretty close to a must win. Oh, I've got that nonsense memorized. Yeah, it should surprise I mean, no one at this point. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, uh, yeah, we'll talk. I mean, we have a lot of time to talk about Syracuse, but um, we should beat UNC if we really want to challenge for six wins. Yep. Um, sticking to the bottom half-ish of the league, uh, Virginia replaces most of this offense. Bronco Mendenhall thinks there's only about twenty or so 20, kids. Twenty-six, I think you said. <laughs> twenty-six kids uh, who belong playing the. Eight. I mean, if those are the. If those are your, your starters on, on both ends and your kicker and punter, you're good, I guess. Yeah, it's... Uh, They're not going to be good this year. Sorry. It's Yeah, it's I, I it doesn't sound like they have any faith they're going to be good, so I don't know why I would. Yeah, I, Plus, uh, last year was a little fluky. It was fluky. They had some experienced quarterback play. Um, that's not going to be the case this year. They're kind of up in the air. Um, they went the transfer route to fix some things. Um, they wait. They're going to transfer out again this time. To be honest, uh, they got uh, what's his face, uh, Bryce Perkins. They have a whole bunch of you know, Lindell Stones, another guy, Brendan Armstrong, a freshman, could potentially. There's there's definitely some there's some intrigue here, but I just think they take a step back before they take a step forward here. Um, after after winning six games but really burning out, I think the team we saw at the back end of last year that. Uh, that you know really struggled, lost their last four and uh, and six of their last seven. Like that's probably more of the team that uh, that we're going to see this year before things. I think still take an upswing next year, but uh, you're going to have to wait a season. Yeah, Mendenhall. I mean, he has a long track record at BYU. He was a very good coach there. And by saying the things he said at ACC media days, like it it seems to me like uh, I don't think he would have said that if he thought he didn't have some rope. Um, and obviously, last year helps. Uh, so, I mean, he sounded like a coach that was empowered enough in his job to say, like, our team is awful, um, basically. Uh, so, I mean, they have Richmond, which they'll win. They should beat Liberty. They 
should beat Ohio, although I'm not going to bank on it at home. I think that's pretty close to a toss-up. And then, like, maybe they pick off one of UNC and Pitt at home. I can't see them winning more than four games, and that's pretty optimistic. Four is, like, like almost ceiling. I mean, roadies at NC State, at Duke. you got to close the season at Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Nah, get get the hell out of here. You could steal one at Duke if they don't end up being that good, but... Which I think they will be. They're recruiting at a top 45-ish range. Duke should be one of the top half teams in the Coastal for sure. Maybe even like the second best team in the Coastal. Damn. Maybe. We'll see. I'd say third. Because I think the the second best team is Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech concerns me a bit. They should be good. Their offense, they they lucked out with with their version of Josh Jackson as opposed to all of the other Josh Jackson in the the sports world right now. Um, Getting over whatever his academic issues were. That would have been a huge blow. Because uh, he was pretty impressive last year. Their defense has lost a lot. Yeah, They've defense has lost of, a lot of attrition. Yes, they, their depth is going to be a major issue, which is and and this will really test Bud Foster. I'm not, not that Bud Foster isn't proven, but like this is going to be one of the tougher jobs I think Bud Foster's had there. I see. I yeah. I, I'm not going to doubt Bud Foster until he actually gives me a reason to doubt him. No, it's not about doubting him. I just don't know how much he's going to have to work with. Right. Which at the end of the day, it's all about the players. That's totally fair, and I mean, they still have, like, I mean, Ricky Walker is, is arguably one of the top four to six uh, defensive linemen on this roster, uh, on, in the ACC, that is. Like, there's definitely pieces to work with, and the offense might actually have to carry the water a little bit this year. Um, that's going to be a new thing for them. I think Fuente is the right coach to figure that out. But yeah, as long as they have Josh Jackson, I think this is still probably... I'm going to give it eight wins at least. I think they could pick up losses at FSU, I think against Notre Dame. At Duke is tricky for them. Um, the Miami game's tricky. BC could pose a problem. Um, but I think I think a decent Hokies team still wins eight games at least. Yeah, I, I just think the uh, tier below them in the Coastal is weak. I think there's enough of a gap where they, they should pick up some decent in-division wins. Um, like you said, BC is not the easiest game. And BC, you know they are what they are so they you know should present a I, I think they should play that game hard they do I think kind of luck out if you're going to play at Florida State you want to do it in week one yep. this year um, I think Florida State will be I think the, the crowd will be pretty fired up but that team's still going to be finding itself so I don't know that I'm ready to give them that win but I think that one should be pretty close and then the rest of the, the early on like they'll, they'll steamroll those first three teams after Florida State William Mary ECU and, and at ODU uh, I know we stand for ODU a bit, but like they're not gonna have a problem going in there. Plus, that stadium will be like that stadium will be all Virginia Tech fans. Um, I actually I was looking up like non conference or I was looking up ticket prices for an article like a couple weeks ago, and the ODU Vatech game is like one of the ten most expensive games of the year because Virginia Tech fans are like flooding that flooding stuff up uh, for that game, which is hilarious. Can't blame them. Um, Duke's a team that's come up in conversation quite a bit. Um, they're an interesting one in that. I feel like since that like 10 win high in 2013 and then obviously they've got to nine the second year well the second year going in like the five-year trend here they've kind of hung around 500 i feel like you know the eight win team in 2015 was kind of meh four wins in 2016 that was partially influenced by injuries uh last year they ended up closing strong uh they lost six straight games in the middle after a 4-0 start and then they won their final two uh to get to a bowl game they beat northern illinois uh, so it really depends on which Duke team you think you're getting. Uh, I think Daniel Jones is pretty good. I think T.J. Rahming is pretty good. This defense re- is going to have to replace pretty much the entire secondary. 
Um, that's going to put a lot of, on the shoulders of, uh, of this linebacker group. This, is, this team also, if you want to look at the team that runs a 4-2-5-ish scheme, uh, this is something similar to that. Joe Giles-Harris might be one of the league's best linebackers. Um, I think this year is going to be tough, though. Um, at Northwestern, at Baylor, in non-conference play, um, you've got games at Georgia Tech, at Pitt, at Miami, at Clemson. Like, you're potentially racking up five losses on the road. Um, that, and that means you got to beat everybody at home, and that includes Wake, that includes Vatek, that includes, you know, a, a, maybe a tricky Army team week one or, or a pesky Virginia team. Like, there's a lot... There's a lot that prevents them from winning more than six games, but I think they do get to the six-win plateau. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think six wins is a is a, is a solid mark there. Um, I wouldn't bet against them. I just generally like I think I think any team that isn't like a mess in this division should have at least a, a decent shot. Yeah, that's fine. I do that. That's the thing. Like I'm high on Duke. I just think the schedule prevents them from really winning more than six. Yeah, I think it all. Daniel Jones is really the question. Like people are really touting him as. Uh, that's like one of the the upper echelon quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> last year was kind of hard to I I I, I get it. Um, it was kind of tough tough to tell last year because the offensive line was a, a real mess, and I don't know that it's going to get a lot better because I think they lose a bunch of their starters. Which again, they did have the inverse thing where like the starters were garbage, so you might as well get rid of them or not get rid of but lose them. But he also I think he had a pretty bad turnover problem if I'm not mistaken. He uh, had 11 picks last year. Yes, yeah, so that's not ideal. Um, they didn't do well on first down. Um, I think he might be, like, in the top half of uh, oh, yeah. ACC quarterbacks for I sure. I think top half, but I, he's not I, on the same level as Finley or Jackson or Dungey. Or whoever starts at Florida State, yeah. probably. Or whoever starts at Clemson, obviously. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, if he elevates himself into being, like, one of the top four uh, ACC quarterbacks, then... We start having a discussion. I think that defense should be really good. I think their linebacking core is pretty nasty. I'm looking at the schedule now. At Northwestern's tough. Um, even at Baylor, like Baylor should be a lot better this year. Same the road games. Them. Like the road games are, are, are what's going to be their ceiling. It's it's not it's not a question of, of the talent on. Like I said, they've been recruiting at a top forty to forty five level for a few years now. Like the the talent's there, and and, and we just named a bunch of players who were going to you know make an impact. It's just when you've got that many tough road games. Um, it, it asks you to win all of them on the all the home games, and I don't necessarily think that's realistic for any team. Never mind, like you know, a team like Duke that's still kind of hanging in that six and six range. Yeah, I think they're into bowl eligibility. I have yeah, enough faith in Cutcliffe, and I think this this roster is like pretty good. Um, but like you said, sweeping these road, like a bunch of these road games is going to be tough. Like at Northwestern, at Baylor, at Georgia Tech, at Pitt, at Miami, at Clemson, you know, maybe you're winning two maybe three if you're very lucky and then if you win three there then then you're in good shape but you know even the home games like uh, the schedule overall just like duke's schedule is usually pretty easy this year they they scheduled two power fives at a conference not the hardest ones obviously baylor was garbage last year northwestern's pretty good and that's a tough game to win on the road um not that's a great road environment but you know flying halfway across the country it's just you know never the easiest thing but then like even at home army they should be but then you know virginia tech is is even like most optimistic look at Duke, that's a probably less than a toss up. Vodtech is just more talent. Uh, North Carolina, you know, we have questions about, but they're not like a gimme. And then Wake Forest is, is a really stingy team. So I think they'll have to six, I think maybe seven. Um, but it's going to take a lot. And if they win a six or seven, like 
that's going to be a really, really good Duke team given like what their limitations are generally. There. Georgia Tech, uh, they've alternated like good and bad seasons for a while now. Uh, last year they won five. The year before they won nine. The year before that they won three. Um, I think this year's somewhere in the middle there. I think six wins, perhaps. I really... It's not that I hate Paul Johnson, but I really hope he gets fired, if only because I don't really want to watch this triple option nonsense anymore and see Georgia Tech completely squander some prime recruiting location um, in favor of just, like, an offense that... I would be fine, to be honest, if, like, even if Syracuse ran it or, like, BC ran it or, or, or Pitt, but, like, being in Atlanta and just screwing that up royally just pisses me off. Georgia Tech does bring back a bunch. Um, all the skill position players... Uh, that matter because you know wide receiver doesn't matter um they do replace a bunch on defense which could get interesting i think take one marshall is a pretty good quarterback for this system offensive line is going to be um as good as it usually is i think parker braun's one of the better offensive linemen in the conference um i do have questions on defense um and that's going to be enough to to get me to doubt this team um i just think the home games are super tough I think that, you know, early games at USF, at Pitt, um, they got Clemson in, in, in the first month. Um, I, I think all of these, I mean, a, a road game at Louisville, there's just there's enough for me to doubt. I don't think Georgia Tech wins more than six either, even though they, they might be better than that, potentially. Yeah, and then that makes, that really leaves me wondering where Paul Johnson's going to be um, if they only win six. And um, it, 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 it could happen. I... I I think we're starting to get the, the sense of there being some uh, major disagreements in that fan base. Um, you know, there's always a point where it starts to crest over, like, the forums and the internal discussion, and you start to see it, like, out in the open. And I think we're getting, like, the first breaches of that. The schedule definitely doesn't do them any favors. Like, at USF is a tough Week 2 game um, after, like, walking over Alcorn State. Um, and then at Pitt, obviously, is no gimme. I think they, you know, they hopefully would beat Pitt, but it's close. And, and not that I think going to Pitt's any big shakes, but you, you never know, especially because like, Pitt plays them every year, so it's not that they're going to sneak up on them with the triple option. Um, at Louisville, I'm not like huge on Louisville this year, but that's not an easy place to play. And Another team talent. that over-under is like, way too high. Yeah, I think I think the ACC has just earned so much rep in the last couple of years that like Vegas is all in on us this year, and like ACC might take like a, a step back like behind Clemson this season, and that's like okay because the last two or three years have been so good. Yeah, and then at Georgia to end the year, like they're not going to beat Georgia. Um, I know they have beaten Georgia. People have said that, but like Georgia, not, not this year. They're not. Level. Uh, so I'm looking. This yeah, I think sits sits is probably sits is. I'm not going to call it the ceiling because Georgia Tech does that thing where they have a stupid awesome year, but. Um, on paper, it's hard to see more than six or seven at most. And like at USF, like USF can be really good this year. We don't. Uh, they have plenty of talent and they're well coached. True. And last but certainly not least, uh, give me the U. Um, they replace a lot on offense, but I think Malik Rozier having guys like uh, Amon Richard, Travis Homer back, like this still seems like obviously a really good team. Rick's been able to to completely transform this program on the fly it helps that it's his alma mater he understands what it takes to succeed here um this defense obviously you know should be lethal again joe jackson's back um almost the entire back seven's back i really like miami i think miami is a potential playoff contender 
Um, maybe I'm overselling on them. I think a lot of people are really cautious about calling the U back. I think they came back last year, even if people won't admit it. And I think they might blow out LSU in that first game in Arlington. Um, and if they do that, I think they're off to the races. I don't really see a loss on here um, at all. Um, I'm probably a little less bullish on them as than you are. Fine. But the, the schedule <laughs> <laughs> um, the schedule is, is great for them. Um, I think it's going to end up looking a lot like last season, except that the I don't, I'm not sold on them slipping up like they did towards the end of last season uh, as blatantly. Now, I could see this Miami team you know, winning 11 games and missing the playoffs slightly and going to a New Year's sits and then getting stopped by someone. Again. Um, yes, again. Uh, last year, I think we saw it coming more easily. I don't I don't know that everyone, like, picked them to lose to Wisconsin like they did, but I, I think if you were being reasonable, Wisconsin seemed like a sure bet than Miami, given, like, what the end of the season looked like, even with the, you know, the Big Ten Championship. We all knew Ohio State was, was more talented. But... The LSU game, like, I think that'll tell us what we need to know. Like, if they come out, I expect them to beat LSU. I'm not high on LSU this year. Um, if they beat LSU pretty handily in week one, like, I I don't know where else they get caught. Like, does Florida State hit their peak, hit, like, where they need to be by October 6th? I think this is, that was a later in... I think where they need to be is too... I think where they need to be is still going to be tough. Like, it's going to be really tough to get to that. I think the, the two big games you got to circle, as, you know, as most teams in this division do, are... At Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, back to back. Yeah, at Virginia Tech is 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 the one. At Georgia Tech uh, is going to be a bit of a look ahead game um, because they have Virginia Tech right after, and it's going to be you know the weird Georgia Tech catching you thing. Um, obviously, they beat what they do with Georgia Tech last. Year. I know they beat them right. So last year they. I don't remember if it was like a blowout or. Last year they beat Georgia Tech twenty five twenty four. So it was close. Yes. Um, was that right around our game? Yeah, because that was that was their fifth game of the year. So like, because okay, they because so they had close. one game canceled. Well, they had one game moved or canceled because of the uh, hurricane stuff. But yeah, that was that was October fourteenth. That was right before. Okay. That was a week before us. Okay. Uh, yes, I remember us being excited that we're playing them after Georgia Tech because of the stylistic differences. Right. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, this is like the most cliche thing ever. Uh, it's going to come down to the quarterback, Malik Rozier. Um, what does he turn into? He was very, very good at the beginning of last year. He was pretty dreadful down the stretch, especially in that pit game. Um, Didn't have the running he, game to support him, though. The running game did fall apart. I wonder how much of a leash he's going to be on, because it sounds like uh, Ntrosi Perry is kind of uh, coming up on his heels. Um, that might be a good thing. That might be a bad thing. It's hard to tell in college football if that's going to be like a motivator or you know, someone falls apart. But then I also wouldn't be, like, super quick to, like, hand the ball to someone who hasn't really played meaningful snaps when you're you're going for, like, what, you know, it's not crazy to think this could be an undefeated season until the ACC championship and in Clemson Rex. Although but, it's kind of worked out lately. See national championship game. Yes, but I think Tua was a different level Agreed. player. Than I completely agree. On the roster. Um, Tua was, like, the guy. Right. Like, in his class. Well hyped. Um, I saw him at Elite 11. He was super good. Yeah. And he looked, he looked I mean, I when he brought, when, the, when they brought Tua in the championship, like, goddamn, they're going to win this game now. <laughs> Based on, there were rumors that he might replace, like, Hurts leading up to that game. So that wasn't like, that was a weird situation. Um, 
it's I'm weird. I, I don't want to say Miami's going to win like 11 or 12 games. Miami's going to win 11 or 12 games. Just say it, Dan. 11. Embrace I think it. Go 11 and one. Someone, one of those two November teams on the road is going to catch them up. Or BC. At BC, could catch them too. F that. Um, <laughs> I think they'll win. I think that I'm going to go with 10 and a half wins. I think they're going to lose between one and two in that group just because I'm not totally sold on them going 12 and 0. And even if they do, Clemson's going to whoop them. Oh, yeah. No, give me 12 and 0, and then they get waxed. Like, Clemson will beat them by, by 20. No, but, like, I want to see that, that. Yeah, like, but what I really prefer is, is give me that SEC treatment where, where like, a 12 and, or 12 and 0 Clemson and, and 12 and 0 Miami come in, like, 1 2 or, like, 2 3. And then, and then a close, and then whoever wins, probably Clemson, wins close. And then you got to figure out, do you leave one of these teams out? And, and I would love it if we end up with Clemson and Miami in, in the playoff. I mean, that'd be great. And if Miami Test comes in at twelve and zero, if if Miami's twelve and one with a close ACC title loss, uh, they'll deserve to be like considered similar to, similarly to what Georgia was last year, so or to what uh, I guess Alabama was last year. Well, this would be better than Alabama was last year because Alabama didn't even make their their conference championship game. Yeah, I mean, wink, wink, nod, nod. I know. Um, Double playoff (laughs) all the way across the sky. (laughs) Give me this. Oh God. Uh, So yeah, Miami. Miami's gonna be good. Um, The question is, like, I think the record's gonna be really good no matter what. The question is if it's gonna be uh, kind of like misleading or if it's gonna be legit. and that's hard to tell. I, I, I'm the LSU game is gonna be very. I'm very interested to see how they look. I think they'll beat LSU. I want to see if they like whoop up on LSU or if they're like put together like one of those week one like oh you know that was a nice win but they didn't look great. Um, if they look really good and they beat them convincingly, then I'm gonna be a lot more sold. Because LSU, while I don't expect them to be great, they are talented and Miami's not like always so good that they're gonna like just steamroll a team like that. And if they do, then I'll be I'll be pretty impressed. I'd agree. All right. I think we talked enough about the Coastal. Uh, no, I'm not a Canes fan. I just sounded like one on this episode. But, yeah, Dan, thank you as always. Um, if you guys want to hang out with Dan next week and you're in the New York City area, uh, you have every opportunity to do so. Yep. Broken Bow Brewing in Tuckahoe, New York. Uh, hopefully we can – you have the event link, right? Yep. Not like it's I do have it in the descriptor. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I will – uh, probably post about that a decent amount on Twitter next week, so follow me on there. I'm sure you do if you're listening to this. And uh, yeah, hope to see a couple of you guys come out and uh, we can talk football and drink beers and have a, a grand old time. True, true. Uh, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trey Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and theoretically, go orange. Go orange, go recording software. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. 
With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.